with your son, do you see any entrepreneurial tendencies and are you pushing him into doing that when you say he has a lot of growing up to do in the next three years? Yeah. I mean, generally, I feel like when we're affluent, our kids don't have as much stress in their life. That's true. That is true. <laughs> and for as much as, and you know, I struggle with this too, is... Welcome to the Winning Move Podcast. I'm your host, Stratton Brown. I interview successful entrepreneurs from around the world to see what moves they've made in their lives to get successful and more importantly, stay successful. I'm here to make sure you can create a better life for you and your family. Let's tune in. Welcome to the Winning Move podcast. We have another amazing guest on today, my friend Mike Hambright. Mike owns several different successful companies. He's and we have Investor Fuel, your apartment syndication business, Investor Machine, which I think is an amazing business. And then what else? What am I missing? Uh, that might be it for today. Oh. <laughs> oh, Investor Fuel, obviously, the mastermind. I don't know if you said that. And then, um, but I have flipped hundreds of houses. So I, for the first 12 years I was in business, I was pretty much uh, only um, house flipper, rehabber, um, have a rental portfolio of single families. But ultimately, over the past couple of years, from an investment standpoint, moved on uh, for the most part to um, multifamily. That said, I'm going to look at a deal today uh, that somebody sent me for a single family house. So um, still do the deals as they come as they come. And we're always rehabbing houses because we've got a rental portfolio. Yeah. Had a rental just burn out that we've got to rehab, you know, all kind all that stuff never ends if you if you keep some of them. So exactly. <laughs> Um, what, and we just sponsored Investor Fuel Commodations did, so that'll be really fun. Yeah, yeah. Glad to have you guys inside of that. Sorry, how did you, did you have a corporate career before this, dude? Yeah, so yeah, kind of, my wife and I are corporate refugees, is what we call ourselves. That's what I call us, at least. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we kind of followed the traditional path of, of uh, the J-O-B and uh, worked out well until it didn't, and then kind of transitioned in 2008 about 14 years ago, I guess, into real estate investing. Uh, that's the short version of the story. But, uh, but why didn't it work out? Like, what was your trigger? What was finding the tipping point? So, you know, I had um, I had a great job um, and I worked for I worked directly for the CEO of a five billion dollar company. So it was a, in many ways a dream job. But then he got fired and I was his kind of outspoken right hand man. And they just uh -huh. kind of cleaned house. And in fact, that company of 35,000 employees uh, doesn't even exist anymore. So 35,000 people ended up losing their job. So uh, and then I went to work for another company that was flying high and, um, you know, was a startup, but grew to a, a half billion dollar company pretty fast and um, was flying high. I was making a lot of money, more money than I ever made before. And then they filed for bankruptcy because they weren't, you know, they weren't as profitable as they needed to be, obviously. Uh -huh. um, and it was just this realization of like, wherever I go, I mean, if there's anything I have, it's a, it's a solid work ethic. I've always worked really hard. And this just realization of like, you know, uh, it's two, two data points now I'm starting to see a trend here. Like, where's this going to go next? Um, and at that time, my wife had left her job as a consultant. She was honestly, she made more money than I did. Uh, and she left her job for me to move across the country and take this other job. As soon as we moved there, um, she got pregnant and, you know, ended up not getting a job at all for the first time in her life. Uh, she doesn't really know what to do when she's not working. She's, she's a workhorse as well. And, and then our son was born. And then I left this company that had just filed for bankruptcy, uh, after my son was two months old. So it was this realization of like, 
I have to take control here one way or another. And, uh, you know, if I can trust anybody, I can trust myself. With all that said, having no prior entrepreneurial experience, I mean, lemonade stands and all sorts of stuff when I was growing up, right? But not a real business. Um, and, you know, it, the, the learning curve is steep, as you know, right? So uh, it wasn't easy, but there's lots of uh, lots of lessons in there for sure. But I wouldn't change it for the world now, right? All right. So Wayne Royal, what's going on, Wayne? And then, all right. So I, there's a lot to unpack. So I, how did that? How did that first company go out of business so fast? A billion? That's, so I mean, that's so I'll just say it, it was it was Radio Shack. Uh, had okay. been around for a hundred years. Great company. Um, and uh, honestly, it was it was a great business and, until it. The short version of the story is, you know, they had a, they had to figure themselves out like how to survive in the modern era and weren't moving fast enough at that. The bigger issue is they kind of got raided at the end and just the the stock just kind of got raided and they got, uh, you know, the runway was shortened on however much time they had left. But, uh, but it, it was a great. I mean, it was a great company to work for. There were a lot of great people there that've been there for a long time, and so I was a young guy with no kids, no family, only there yeah. for a few years. So it wasn't, you know, it was a, it was easier for me to recover than it might have been for somebody that was there for a couple of decades and had that happen. So what did you go to college for? So uh, I have an undergrad in finance and out of um, undergrad worked in kind of corporate finance type jobs for about four or five years, then went back to grad school because I thought I needed more formal education because I wasn't happy where I was at. And I thought that was what you did, you know, and the truth yeah. is, is uh, I was the first person in my family to, to even go to college at all. So uh, my parents are great. I have a great family, but they weren't really able to kind of guide me on that path. Right. But very much came from a blue collar family. And so I was just kind of figuring it out myself and thought I needed to go back and get more formal education. Um, and got an MBA at the University of Texas in Austin, uh, which is where I met my wife at. She was in the same program. And uh, there, you know, an MBAs tend to be a little more general. So it was more of like probably a little more marketing, a little more uh, strategy type type positions. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, and I was trying to honestly, I was trying to not be a finance guy anymore. Um, and so kind of use that opportunity to reposition a little bit. But in hindsight, you know, it's easy for me to say, Cause it's the truth. I have a son now that's 14. I mean, I, I do want him to go to college, even though I know it's not as valuable as I used to think it was. And I don't think you have to go to college, uh -huh. but I think my son, so first off we can afford it, right? It's just, he's not going to go into a bunch of debt to do this. And exactly. second, secondly, I think my son in our instance, he needs some opportunity to grow up a little bit more than what I think he'll be just three and a half years from now. <laughs> and I think part of that is an opportunity to learn about yourself. Are there other ways to do it? Yes. If he decides to not go to college, he'll be fine. But, you know, time will tell. So, um, man, still a lot to unpack. First thing. <laughs> you said this was a six-hour show today, right? Or yeah, this is a six-hour show. We're going to know everything about you, dude. With your son, do you see any entrepreneurial tendencies? And are you pushing him into doing that when you say he has a lot of growing up to do in the next three years? Yeah. I mean, generally, I feel like when we're affluent, our kids don't have as much stress in their life. That's true. That is true. And for as much as, and you know, I struggle with this too, is when I grew up, we didn't have, in hindsight, we didn't have much, but I didn't know it at the time. Cause that's exactly. what you know, right? I didn't, it was, we were never hungry. We always had a roof over our head. We had, I had loving parents, all those things. Right. But when I look back now, it was like, 
you know, just getting by for sure. Right. And now I don't have to work anymore. I mean, I don't say that from a place of ego, but, and I love what I, I'm able to focus on what I, what I love to do. Right. And yep. my, my son doesn't want for anything, but we struggle with that. Um, we struggle with that lesson of like, how do you, I mean, I guess the things that I care most about are character and work ethic. There are a couple of things that I feel like if you have a good character, you try to do right by people, you try to always do the right thing, you make good decisions and you work hard, like you can figure the rest out from, from my perspective. And so character, he'll be fine. Work ethic, you know, we'll see. <laughs> it's difficult because, you know, it's just a different world now. Like I don't, we travel a lot. We've gotten to do a lot of things. Appreciate that as much as you want. To. I don't know. Maybe in no. time we'll find out, but probably not. You know, I mean, not not in the moment, right? Because right, at least for me, I didn't have any clarity because, like, we we didn't. My parents start doing didn't start doing okay in their businesses until I was in like high school. But then I didn't have any clarity of like, hey, yeah, like our life is pretty good. We don't struggle that much until I got to college and my best friends like, yeah, growing up, we had to turn on the oven to heat our house. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're until your kids, I just think until they get perspective and like they're exposed to that. It's a completely different world. And yeah. they don't really know. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, you know, I think time will tell. I, he, he, my son is entrepreneurial. He's money motivated. So I think he'll oh, be yeah. an entrepreneur. But, you know, he started to ask recently, like, hey, can I do some work for you? And I was like, you know, uh, he's done some little things here and there, like, uh -huh. you know, but I think he needs to work for somebody else first because, you know, I think he needs that experience of letting somebody else down that's not his parents or being told, like, point. why did you do this? Get Maybe getting fired, you know, just to like, yeah. learn some lessons because, um, you know, we, we'd be too soft on him probably. Exactly. That, that's a really good point. Yeah. I just think I've got so many entrepreneurs around me. We all just need to hire each other's kids. I'm like, you go work for him. You go work for him. It's funny because I actually we were I was with my uh, uh, a guy named Kevin who you'll meet. He's an investor fuel, but Kevin's rehabbed hundreds of houses for me. He's a great guy, become one of my best friends. And he's uh, uh, really was my contractor for a long, long time. Still is. Um, but I have an unusual relationship with my contractor. It didn't start that way, but it, after 14 years, that's where we're at. And uh, we were at a hockey game because we have season tickets uh, side by side with Kevin. And my son was there. Oh, yeah. He said, Kevin, he calls him Mr. Kevin. Mr. Kevin, can I, uh, can I come work for you this summer? And right when I heard that, I was like, you know, my son is not a contractor. He's not a, he's, you know, he's not, I, I'd like to see that basically, you know. <laughs> and uh, Kevin's like, well, how are you going to get there? He's like, I'm not going to drive across town. We live in DFW. There's 8 million people. I'm not going to drive across town and deliver you to a job. And then Kevin was saying, well, if you have a hardship, maybe you can get your driver's license early. And I looked at Kevin, I was like, my son's never had a hardship in his life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. But it's an interesting time to be a parent. I think, I think it's, it'd be a weird time to be a kid. I mean, if you grew up when you and yeah. I grew up, like it's a different time right now, for sure. You know? Oh, for sure. So how do you manage? Cause so I feel like my girlfriend's like your wife, like she was a, She's a badass making six figures right out of college. Go get her. She had a double degree in what was it? Psychology and international business. Hmm. So how is that? How is that relationship? And do you guys work together? We do work together. Yeah, we worked together for 14 years. I mean, she she's the glue that keeps a lot of it together. Uh, she's main. Her main role is the financial side or CFO. But uh, 
when you're small, a small business, you play a lot of roles. So she's tended to be more of an integrator, mm -hmm. um, but she's kind of over that, you know, and it's forced me to get a lot better as an integrator over the years. Um, and, uh, and be operations minded, you know, think about like not just throw shit over the fence for somebody else to figure out. Although I still do that. I just don't do it as at, a, at the level that I used to, but um, no, it's, it's got its ups and downs, uh, but overall it's worked out well for us, but it's created challenges along the way for sure. And um, we have a great relationship and, you know, we're trying to do more. Like I just got back from, from an event with uh, Trevor, Trevor Mock has a small mastermind that I was at and she went with this time and, we're able to kind of hang out a little bit together. So it's kind of like how my life works. It's my business life and my personal life are like this, like they're not two different things that I'm trying to balance. It's, it's all, it's like, you know, it's like, I'm like a mullet, a little bit of business up front and a party in the back or something like that. <laughs> I like it, dude. Wait, uh, is this a relationship and family show or where are we at today? No, I mean, you can talk about anything you, you can talk about anything you want. Yeah, it's, it's you talk about anything you want. I feel like majority of the number one, if your family's not intact, your business is going to be dog shit because you're fighting no doubt. battles. Like no doubt. No doubt. There's one thing I think. And then I always if I ever find someone who has the dynamic that you do is the dynamic that I want to build, I always want to see, like, hey, yeah, how is that? Any tips and tricks on that stuff? Because you don't see a lot of people who do it well. Yeah, that's people yeah. who do it well. It's it's not easy. I mean, my my wife is uh is just super smart. And, um, you know, uh, I think part of it is it's, uh, it's one of the things that she saw was like, especially early on, like she had to be involved just because, yep. um, and she's, you know, she, she's very well educated work used to be an investment banker on wall street. Like she's, she just works hard and is smart. And I think she's probably something that she's always struggled with is the traditional relationship side. Her mother was a stay at home mom. Her dad was a high level CEO. So she's always kind of struggled with yeah. what role do you play? Right. And so, um, so I got something in the middle there. <laughs> All right. Now let's move into, so are you the operator dude or are you the visionary? Like, in, so it, dep it depends on the business. I have a few businesses. Yeah. In yeah. investor machine, uh, we have, you know, over 85 employees now. So I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO, Jason's the COO. Um, but we have a big team. We've got a lot of people that are helping, you know, from an op we're, we're an operation, we're a data and operations company, right? So, yeah. um, I handle the sales and marketing, but that in that business, that's one of the easier parts of the business For sure. and some businesses, sales and marketing is everything and it's critical in every business, but, um, for investor fuel, we're super lean. And I, you know, I have a couple people on my team that help with a lot of stuff, but I'm the visionary and the operator and all that, that, and that probably will have to change at some point. I probably, I probably need a operations person, COO, or, you know, director of operations or something like that. If I could find that person, I would snap my fingers. They'd be here right now, but it's one of those things that, uh, is probably been needed for a couple of years, but I'm still sitting in that seat. Okay. And shout out Anna. Anna, you're the best. Yeah, and and I have a you'll meet Hannah too. I have a Hannah and an Anna, and they're both awesome. All right. So what's the biggest thing in wholesaling is that that is a sales business. And I see I personally feel the operations are pretty simple compared to the other things that we do. Sure. Yeah. As compared to I know with machine, there's a lot of moving parts in all of that. What's it like being like what's it like doing both integrator and visionary? And how'd you develop the integrator skills? Because I have none. Like I, I am the guy who throws everything over the fence. 
and then I come yeah. up with cool new ideas. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, it stops like I pause now when I have an idea. I'll say this: I used to be like I would have an idea, and I would say to my wife, who it for, for a long time we were primarily flipping houses, had rentals, and then started to bolt on coaching. I've done a ton of coaching over the years that I don't do anymore, but I would often say, um, "Hey, I just I've got a new idea. I've got this idea," and from my wife's standpoint as the operator and a mom, you know, who has like two jobs, right? Um, she would, it would really stress her out. And it took me a couple of years to kind of realize that, that as like, I should let these things bake a little bit more before I talk about them. And then, so she, at one point along the way, she said, Hey, can you just say, I like, don't just say I have a new idea. Say, I have this idea. I don't want to do anything with it yet, but just kind of preface it as just like, it's just in the back of my head. Um, and I've gotten to the point now to where I'm able to do that internally. I'll be like, I've got some ideas. I'll write it down. I journal it a little bit. I kick it around. I've got journals loaded with thoughts yeah. and ideas. Right. And truthfully, if you're an idea guy, it sounds like you are too. Like some of the stuff you'll write down and you'll go back to it a couple of days later. And you're like, ah, that's a dumb idea. Or like, that's not a big enough opportunity to just get distracted from what else I've got going on or whatever. So I try, what I try to do now, it used to be like maybe all over the board a little bit more like different ideas. And now what I really try to do is if I have new ideas, I try to do it inside of the bounds of one of my existing businesses. It could be like a new product, like for Investor Machine. It could be a new group, like we added on a multi some multifamily groups inside of Investor Fuel. Okay. Um, and so things like that, instead of like, hey, I want to go start a VA company. Because I've thought about that before. I've thought about it for years. But I was like, that's a totally different business. Like, I don't, you know, just don't want to go there. Um, or I find somebody that has a VA business would be good and like, hey, man, I think if I come on and I can help help you five or 10 X that thing in the next 18 months, which I haven't done, but I'm just saying I would rather partner with people now that can play that role. Exactly. Uh, that especially somebody that I see that's more of an operator, more of an integrator because, you know, they won't need another visionary, right? That's we're just going to bump heads. What's your like predictive index? Maverick. Maverick, same. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times you, uh, you adapt, like even if these are your tendencies, you still adapt to something if it has to get done. And I think probably for um, several years now, I've adapted to be more, not an integrator, but just more minded of the complications that I'm creating when I come up with a new idea. Um, and so I'm more mindful of it because I had to be, you know? Yeah. And so when you say minded on those ideas, are you, do you take the problem, you work out, like you think out the operations and then like, okay, I've thought it through. I see what the complications would look like. Yeah, let, let's throw it out there. Uh, maybe. But I, but I, the thing is, is can you even think it all the way through? Like I tend to be like a quick, like a lot of us are, are quick starters. Yeah. Like I'll start something and I'll, you know, if it was a house, I'd have a neighborhood full of like houses with a foundation and they're framed up a little bit. But, you know, they're in varying, 100%. Uh, varying uh, states of like, you know, not even being close to done, but uh, they got started. Right. So I don't want to do that. In, in an ideal world, what I would really love to do, I mean, what I really love to do now is just do what I'm doing. I'm, I really am trying to focus on uh, sticking with what I've got because I've got some great things going. So I'm not really looking for anything new, but there's part of me that's like someday if I were to, you know, start to do some other things, so like buy businesses and yep. flip, flip businesses, right. Or start some new things even 
what I'd really love is to get really good at hiring operations people. And I find like one kick ass COO and part of his job is find more people like you and I'll find a way to keep you guys busy. Like, but that's, that's in the next life, whenever that is. And I was going to ask you, where do you find good integrators? And I, Dude, I, you tell me. Like, they're all hiding in some bar somewhere. Like, where are they? Where are the good ops people? Like, I think that is the hardest thing that I str struggle with. It's finding a you legitimate know, operator. You know what I think? I don't know for sure. And I, you know, there's guys like Gary Harper and other folks that really are, help. Help. Uh, you know, they can help you find those people, or they can certainly help you tell you what the right skill set is. I think a lot of them are in more traditional jobs. They're not in the entrepreneurial space because it didn't have the structure they needed to make them happy. Like they appreciate the structure, right? And mm -hmm. you're not going to find that with guys like me. <laughs> not initially, right? Yeah. It might be like it might be like a wonderland. Once you get in, you're like, wow, there's lots of good ideas here. Um, and I've got some flexibility to go run with it. You know, I think those people are out there, but I wish there was like a dating service or something where I could just log oh, yeah. in and find find these folks, right? But if, if anybody knows where that's at that's listening right now, like, please tell me where it's at. Drop some breadcrumbs for me. <laughs> Which business out of the three are you most excited about right now? I'm most excited about machine, personally. I, I'll tell you what it all fits, it all fits like this. And that's how it, it happened for me. It like, does. I started as a real estate investor and we started fast. We flipped like, um, you know, first calendar year, we flipped 65 houses, mostly rehab. Oh, wow. So doing it yeah. the hard way. So we ramped up fast. We were a volume shop pretty quickly, but very quickly, the whole reason I got into the business, it's funny. Cause when I first started, I, I actually didn't even know what wholesaling was. I didn't get it. Like wow. I just, I was like, I just want to, make take ugly houses and make them pretty and make money in the process and i like the transformation and all that um but very quickly realized hey we need to wholesale some because you shouldn't rehab everything even if you have unlimited funds and unlimited time which nobody does um there's just you shouldn't rehab in the hood and you shouldn't rehab really high-end houses like you know there's just some stuff you shouldn't take on right but even aside from that it's like hey that's what feeds the business from a cash flow standpoint like you do this faster and you can more reliably market and hire people and not be worried about you can't afford them the next month because the cash flows are a lot more lumpy with with a rehab model than they are. And it's just oh, unpredictable. Yeah. Now, this market, the cycle time is way, way shorter. Right. But, you know, 14 years ago, you might be holding the house for on average four to five months from the time you buy it, rehab it, sell it, you know, contract to sell it, close it, all that stuff. So uh, things are con contracted a little bit more right now. But along the way, I started to keep some rentals because that's what I really wanted was mailbox money. And then I got into coaching because people I would I started opening up about what we do and sharing stuff. And people are like, hey, can you show me how to do that? Can we partner on deals? And next thing you know, I'm a coach. Next thing you know, I'm coaching hundreds of people. You know, it's just these like things just get bolted on along the way that you didn't really expect. And um, then uh, I was like coaching people in Dallas, you know, DFW area. And I wanted to kind of branch out nationally. And part of that was to market more nationally. So I started my first podcast, the flip nerd podcast, which we're actually in the process of turning. Uh, I haven't told very many people this, but we'll kind of a little bit of breaking news here. Uh, we're turning into a podcast network of about eight to 10 different podcasts. So that's going to be launching pretty That'd soon. Cool. I've got a guy uh, that works for me. That's in the back right now. We're seemingly ordering a endless supply of uh, stuff to build a studio in the back of my office here. But um, 
but it went from like, come meet me at re at rehabs we're working on. And we'll kind of walk through the house together and talk about it to like hiring a video guy. This is even like, gosh, eight years ago, nine years ago, hired some young kid right out of college to like follow me around with a camera and take pictures and shoot videos and stuff to starting a podcast. So I started the podcast in uh, late 2013, if you can believe that. Wow. Um, and uh, there were five or six guys with uh, podcasts at the time, Sean Terry, Joe McCall. I was just with Joe a couple of days ago. Uh, Jason Hartman had some and I'm sure there's a few others I'm missing for sure. Pardo? How long has Pardo's been going? So Alex, I just I was just on Alex's show, and Alex was a couple of years after me because I remember when he was starting his show, he I spent a fair bit of time on the phone with him talking about, you know, what to look for, what to do. I mean, he was he was talking to a lot of folks and getting advice. And so he was after me. He's done an amazing job for sure. And he, he does a lot more volume, uh, like on an annual basis for sure. I think he's still doing like three shows a week, but yeah. Um, but um, anyway, that led me, it was an expert interview style show and it still is today. So I interview guys like you, people that are experts. And back then, you know, I'm sounding like an old man now, but eight years ago, seven years ago, like social media just wasn't as, wasn't as common as it is now. So mm -hmm. now you're connected to thousands of people and you feel like you know everybody because you're Facebook friends. But back then that wasn't as common of a thing. So if I'm interviewing somebody on my show, like I might've heard of them before, I might know who they are, but yeah. I don't really know them that well yet. And honestly, for me, podcasts are, it's a way to get our message out there. But for me, it's a way to network and meet people like you and I are going to get to know each other better here today. And that's going to start a new relationship where we're going to see where it goes from here. Right. And so it turned into this, um, podcast the, the podcast turned into this way for me to meet a lot of amazing people that became great friends sometimes jv partners like lots of things yeah. came out of that and me realizing that like hey i have this coaching business it's done really well for a long time but man i sure like talking to the experienced people that are more of my peers than yeah um and that that really is you know the short version of the story of how investor fuel the mastermind started because we only work with experienced investors there and it just as an entrepreneur i love talking about getting to the next level what's next overcoming challenges then going from deal zero to one because you know and i say this like in my mastermind or anybody that i advise or anybody that i work with it's so much easier for me to talk to somebody about getting from 20 deals a year to 40 or 50 than it is from zero to one because there's so many mindset issues and there's so many people questioning does this even work right at that level they know it works and they're like, how do I get this to work better? Yeah, I, I, the mindset issues is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Like, so you think it's so simple now because you've whatever barrier you broke through to get to where you are. But like we host a meetup and we have almost a thousand members in it. And then we throw really big meetups, not as big as Donnie's, but like pretty big meetups, a couple hundred, 300 people who come. Yeah. And we, you still see the same people who come for years. Like, well, I still haven't done my first deal. Right. Right. Like you're constantly trying to help those people. And then like we have some coaching, but at the same time, I don't want to coach brand new people because then like they just don't do what you tell them to do. Like, hey, yeah. here is the exact blueprint. I promise it'll work. If you can commit to it for a year, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, it's it's tricky. And I have a soft spot for newer folks because I was I was there at one point. Right. And yep. I think for me, like, you know, I, the job I left before I started in real estate i did choose to leave the company was filing for bankruptcy i could have stayed there for there's i have some friends that stayed there for years and eventually went away but the heydays were gone like the fun times yeah. of uh, hyper growth startup were gone 
And um, but so I kind of burned that boat, right? Like, but yeah, there's a lot of folks, and I, I tell people this all the time. They're like, Well, should I quit my job? And I'm like, Man, I don't want to be the person to tell you that, but I can tell you the people that I know that have done the best were in a position where somebody burned their boat for them or they burned it themselves and then they figured it out because they had to. I'm not saying people can't have a job and ease into it, but it's such a safety net that the first time somebody hits um, hits a wall or gets burned or spends a bunch of money on marketing, it didn't work. Like they give up. Like we, we do things like that now and it's just part of the learning process. Right. But a lot of people that fail quit and that's failure. And for me, failure is like, don't do it that way again. Let's do it this way. Let's try it another way. Right. Um, And so I think that you have to, you can't, you have to earn those stripes. Like you just have to do it the hard way. And I don't know how to tell anybody else to do it other than to just, get into it and don't give up, you know? So you're glad you burned the boats? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Completely unemployed. I've been un- unemployable for a long, long time now. Did you, did you, it used to be that they wouldn't want me. Savings? What's that? Did you, did you burn the boats with like savings and like a runway? Cause I, I'm no, I mean, burning we... the boats, but I think you should have a runway. Cause the one thing I didn't do is I just was like, Hey, I'm doing this shit. And then I had yeah. no money to do shit. Well, I didn't, I mean, we just kind of fell into it. I'll say if I, if I tell you that there was a plan behind what we were doing early on, I'd be lying. Right. So we were just kind of naive as, I mean, starting in 2008, I mean, it wasn't planned. Like most people thought we were crazy. Like, what are you doing? This is the worst time to get in. But if you listen to the media, that's what you would believe. We know now in in a real estate from a professional real estate investor standpoint, the best time to get in is during a down market. Right. But I didn't plan that. It just happened. And we, we had, you know, the wind was at our back and fortunately the timing was right because we needed it. But yeah, we, we were, you know, um, we weren't living in a van down by the river or anything like that, but we were burning through our savings. Like we, you know, at some yeah. point we, but we, you know, we, we're, we've always been fairly frugal. Um, and even back then, now we don't really have to, but we still are. But back then um, we were, and that served us well because we had we had some runway to figure shit out. But um, it was it was a challenge for sure. OK. All right. And then one more thing on this topic before we move into the other ones. What are the episode? What are the podcasts on your podcast network? Is it going to be like a different type of asset class for every podcast or what? Yeah. Well, I have a creative finance show. I'm doing a Texas based real estate investor show. So different themes, mostly uh, mostly technique or strategy. It could be a lead gen show. Things okay. like that. Yeah. That's that's really cool. I, and they're all everybody that'll everybody that's a host is an investor fuel member. So that'll be cool. That's even cooler. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the power of a ma- masterminds first. I mean, I spend a lot of money on them. I think they're the best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Like you may not make direct money from them, but the relationships that you build, number one, entrepreneurship is super lonely. All right. So you don't have oh, like sure. you talked about, like you don't have any peers. And you have employees, a partner, but there's no peers. Right. And then you'll make money from those relationships later on. Yeah. Yeah, it's invaluable. I mean, especially when you're operating at a, at a consistent level, you know, when you're actively doing deals every month um, or better. Like, you, if you hear a little nugget, like sometimes you hear something and it's often not even in the room at the mastermind. It's like in the bar after the event before dinner starts or at lunchtime sitting with a group of people or whatever and you'll just hear some little thing 
like I'll give you an example. This is something that I heard uh, a long time ago now, but I was in the business for a few years and I was at an event. This was before I had masterminds or anything. I was at another event and I heard somebody say, somebody that I know that does a lot of volume. They're like, yeah, we just stopped about six months ago. We stopped paying for title policies. And we've always said we pay all closing costs. And now we just say we pay all normal closing costs and a normal closing cost isn't me picking up the tab for the seller. And it was like at the time, you know, we were, we were um, probably doing 70 houses a year, probably rehabbing 50 of them. I was like, that's worth like a hundred grand to me or more. Right. It's like, if I just stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an additional profit. Right. And literally from that point forward, you know, I could probably name on one hand out of hundreds of deals a few times when a seller, like they absolutely, they were either walking away with zero or they weren't going to do it unless we paid for this because somebody else told them they would or whatever. But most people never questioned it. It, it literally was never an issue. It was just a mindset thing of saying we we cover all normal clock closing costs, but for the, the buyer to pay the title policy isn't normal. Um, and nobody questioned it. And it was just in my head. And I just was saying that we pay all closing costs because that's what a bunch of people before me had said in their marketing. And, you know, but that little nugget was worth over the years, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And, um, oh, sometimes yeah. just hearing a little thing that you might be talking, I'm talking to you and I heard the guy next to me say something. I'm like, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I, I hate to interrupt you, but, and you'll hear a little nugget and you're like, holy shit, that's worth a lot of money to me. Right. A lot of money. Yeah. So, um, it's invaluable for sure. And I think, you know, sometimes people that aren't in groups, they assume that they have to come and they're going to get so much knowledge and then they're going to go back and apply it. And you just can't do that. And so I typically tell people like, look, look for a nugget or two that you can apply quickly and easily. It's not a lot of friction. It's going to move the needle the most. And if you're looking for those nuggets and not trying to fill up notebooks full of potential ideas, um, necessarily, right. Then, um, it's not like if you join a mastermind and you're, you're not getting a 10 X return on that or more, like you're in the wrong group. Exactly. I mean, let's talk about how you, the right way to network at masterminds and my personal opinion is not in the room. It's everything afterwards. Yeah. Well we do, you know, we do a lot. So we have uh, long networking breaks at lunch. You're going to see this here yeah. in a few weeks um, to the point to where we even travel together. So we, uh, we have our four main meetings and then we have two or three, we call them fuel retreats. And so we just were in Vegas a month ago with a bunch of folks like shooting guns in the desert. And we didn't, we didn't meet in a room and, and mastermind per se, but guys like us, no matter where you're at, you're talking about business all the time, right? It doesn't matter if you're at the bar or you're in a pool somewhere or whatever. So we, we, um, it's important part of my life is travel, like just to experience things, right. Have have these experiences. So I just, over the past couple of years worked in, Hey, let's all go to Cabo together. Let's go. So we've got uh, a couple trips coming up. We just got back from Vegas. We've got a trip to Cabo in the fall. And then January 2nd, we have a trip starting to go snowmobiling and dog sledding up in Yellowstone. Uh, And that's family friendly. So people can bring their kids and stuff too, which a lot of the stuff we do is, is not necessarily family friendly. It's more adult based, but, um, but you know, at the end of the day, like for me, and and by the way, anybody that's, there's people that are in my group that their families travel together and they do other things they just create their own things together. But I try to curate some of those experiences because, you know, from my standpoint, my mastermind is a business for me, but it's full of some of my very best friends in the world. Exactly. And I think the hardest thing now, like you, like you adult up and then now you're making all these friends, 
for me, like I'm 27, but like do most of my friends make the same amount of money I make? No. Right. So well, then you can go do an actual fun experience to where you're not thinking about like the price tag of it. Everybody can afford it and you can go enjoy yourself. Right. But, yeah. I mean, to me, that's very valuable. Yeah. I've, I've from a, from a young age, from my, from my son's from the time my son was probably four or five. So we we're in business for four or five years. And we got to the point to where we could travel comfortably and go do th things that we wanted to. And he was old enough to go with us too. We would, you know, go to Europe and, uh, did a tour through Italy and stuff like that. And I'll say even then, even though we could afford it and we did it, I was physically present, but I was, I was on my phone the whole time or I was like yeah. still too involved in my business. Um, and you know, back then my, my business was way more transactional, I guess. Like obviously I was doing a lot more deals then. uh, multifamily deals that I do now are they're they're few and far between, but they're big deals Like we've got a $40 million deal under contract right now. Hell and yeah. so, but I'm not on the phone all day, every day, talking to buyers and sellers, title companies, all that stuff. Right. And so now it's more relationship based. Like, I don't know how to stop talking about business <laughs> for the most part, but not, neither do most of my friends. So we can sit around right. and talk about shit like that. And it's not specific to like a transaction that doesn't apply to them. It's more philosophical issues or life yeah. issues, whatever, that we're all going through a lot of the same things because we're all, you know, in the same boat for the most part. So it, for me, you know, even though we travel, like, you know, we're still working. We're, we never stop working or thinking about it, but it's different now. It's like more uh, community-based, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good one. Let's segue into how did you transition your business out of being super transactional and how did you build it into an actual business? Because I think that's the wholesaler's crutch is that they never turn it into yeah. an actual company that runs. Yeah, if you're, so and I'll say this, we have a, most of my net worth right now is in my rentals uh, that I kept along the way. And my biggest regret is not keeping more of them. Um, and so I think if you're not keeping deals or assets that, are, that can pay you in the future that are going to appreciate like crazy if the dollar collapses, like all those things, like you're missing out on uh, stuff. When you wholesale deals, and I've wholesaled tons, right? And we a lot of us have, but the moment you make that money, that gravy trains over that one's over you got to go do it again right and there's nothing wrong with that but just like if you had a w2 job and you're getting paid if you're putting some aside putting some aside putting some aside for the future you'll appreciate that down the road and i think even if you're only wholesaling right now find a way to keep one of those like buy three keep one you know don't necessarily take all your money and go do something stupid with it that doesn't add any value to the, your life in the future like invest it in yourself Invested yeah. in yourself, whether it's coaching, a mastermind, uh, buying a rental, all those things that will will pay dividends for you for the rest of your life, right? Um, so that's the best advice I would give folks. For me, like I always wanted, what I really wanted was to keep a bunch of rentals. But then I realized when I got into business, like I can't keep them all because I need to feed the machine. Like I got to pay for advertising. Yeah. I have an office. I have staff. So I have to wholesale and rehab some to be able to keep some as rentals, right? So it was almost like a rental business, but in the process, in order to even run this damn business, I got to do some wholesaling and rehabbing to make the whole machine work, right? Mm -hmm. And then once I got to a point to where I had other businesses or the rentals were throwing off money, I had my mastermind, I had a coaching business and other things that were kind of, I look at it as like active money and then, you know, I'll call it passive. A lot of those things are not as passive as what most people would lead you to believe, but I had kind of today money that I make that I needed right now to pay my overhead. And then I can put stuff aside. Um, 
once that got to a certain point, I don't, I don't really need more today money, even though I want, I mean, I want stacks of hundreds all over my desk here right now. Right. I, I love, I always want money, but I'm willing to like forego that for something in the future. And mm-hmm. so um, then I was able to start reinvesting into other businesses, more rentals, multifamily now, things like that. So I think it's to get yourself up to a point. I'll say this, if you're wholesaling, if we're talking to that guy right now, that woman that's a wholesaler, it's like the first step is get your deal flow to a point to where you can comfortably pay for a salesperson and marketing and some overhead every month. And you make money on top of that. If you're doing a deal here and there, it's a job. You don't have a business yet. You got to get it to where it's a business and you can afford to have somebody else do a, a, a fair bit of your tasks and you have some profit left over. If you're doing a deal here and there, even a deal or two a month, depends on what market you're in. Like that's a break even business at best. Right. So you got to It's the case for scale. Like in order to get to it's like monopoly in order to get to the hotels, you got to do the little deals first. But if you never if you play monopoly and you've never kept any rentals like you've never won, like that's that's never happened because you weren't buying assets. Right. Yep. You were paying rent the whole time <laughs> to somebody else. Right. Uh, so exactly. You got to get your business to a point to where it scales up. And then instead of blowing it all, and I, I'm not I'm not here to say you shouldn't have exotic cars or fly private jets or any of that stuff, but you shouldn't do that if you're not investing in your future. Like if you've invested oh, in your 100%. future, you've built up stuff, and then you have something above that that you want to blow, like do it, but don't do it for vanity and you don't even really have anything behind that, like that could sustain your lifestyle like that for the rest of your life. Well, the best way I've ever heard it put, just go buy the assets with the assets, pay for it. Yeah. Just buy the yeah. assets with the ass let the portfolio rentals pay for your nice Ferrari. Go buy some that's more right. rentals, let them pay for that. How many rentals that's do right. I have to buy to get this thing that I want? Yep, that's right. Or what business do I need to go create that'll create the cash flow for something right. that I want? Is generally how I look at things now. Yeah, for sure. Did you have a cash flow goal in mind at a certain point? We have had them over the years, but you know, it's kind of funny, like if you it's, it's funny when you blow past a goal and you forget you even had it, you know? Okay. And so, and, and we struggle with that now. Like, I, you know, I think that's another thing, you know, tip for newbies is uh, newer folks is like your first goal should be to replace your income. If you have a W2 job, like a lot of, I've coached a lot of people over the years and they're making $70,000 a year. And I'm like, what's your goal? They're like, eh, I'm not going to be happy unless I make a half million next year in this business. So I was like, you know, what happens is I'm all for, thinking big yeah. and having big goals. But point. sometimes when you know you're not going to hit that goal, you just start to give up. And it's like, if, if your first goal is just to replace your income, then then it gives you the freedom to say, you know, I don't have to stay at this job anymore, at least, right? If the, Unless you really love your job and you don't ever want to leave, um, no matter how much money you make. But I think most people just need to get to that level of like, what's my salary or what do I make a year plus insurance or whatever, and then find some way that then, then set a bigger goal. I mean, for majority yeah. of people, it's pretty easy. I, I will say that I struggle with this. And I'm not trying to say like, I'm not trying to like be ego driven here and say we're crushing it everywhere and I'm awesome or anything like that. It's a real struggle as an entrepreneur. Like when you get above what you need to comfortably live and maybe even many times above that, like why, why do you still work so hard? I struggle with that as an entrepreneur. My wife and I have been talking about that a lot over the past few days. Uh, you know, it's not about money anymore. It can't be about money. I mean, you want to live comfortably and everything, but it's got to become about something bigger than that. It's got to become, 
usually about impact. For some people, it's just the game of being bigger, right? I mean, it's some for some people, it's a web of a whole bunch of stuff. It becomes your identity, and you don't know how to pull back yeah. on that. Right? There's a lot of things there that could keep you driving forward. I think the important thing is to make sure you don't lose yourself in the process. But, um, but yeah, I think it takes on the role of a game at some point, right? Oh, without a doubt. And I wrote <laughs> down like, so what is it for me? Like, so vanity for sure. Like, I, why don't I see how far I can get and how big I can build something? Number yeah. two, I've just decided I'm a psychopath. Um, <laughs> number three is the game. And then, I mean, then you still have like number four to where that goes into impact, right? To where if you've changed your life and you can create a bunch of different millionaires in your companies, that's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Well. For sure. Yeah, that's that's one of the things about my mastermind is like a lot, these are a lot of my like if I, I love I like to see members of my mastermind winning maybe more than I like to win. I love it. Right. Because it's like I, a lot of them I know and there's a lot of amazing people in there for sure. But sure. I know there's some people that are um, you, just, you just know when you get to know somebody well and you know how that changes their family tree. It's a cool thing to watch that happen. Right. right? And so and, and the truth is, is. You know, sometimes people will say I couldn't have done this without investor fuel, which I used to uh, associate with me. And now I don't like I'm not I'm a facilitator there. I'm pulling everybody together, um, but I'm not the guy. Most people that are coming into our mastermind now are there for each other. I mean, it, we've created this culture of just giving and sharing where the meetings could damn near run without me. They're not going to uh, and they don't have to. But like it's not about me or even my team it's about people have their best friends in this group and people that would have their back no matter what and i think a community like that that's not by one person at the top and it's just this web of people that are all helping each other that they can't right. imagine they can't imagine not having that resource that's that's what we created that wasn't necessarily what i set out to do but that is um that is what we created so what was that all right let's go on to investor machine my favorite business of yours what in the, what gave you the idea to do it? So it's interesting how things when you get around again when you get around smart people. I'll say this: like of Jason's my, insanely smart too, by the way. Yeah, Jason Lewis is my business partner in Investor Machine. Corey Peterson is my primary business partner in all the multifamily stuff we do. And it was just partnering with the right people, right? And both of them are in my mastermind. So I knew Corey before my mastermind. We were in a different group together, but we really got to know each other when he joined my group just over the years. Um, and with Jason, Jason joined Investor Fuel in uh, February of 2019, so a little over three years ago. And that first meeting when he was there, because we actually, a uh, little bit of a long story, but we started talking and and we just hit it off. And it was like, I had been coaching for a long time. I knew I had thought about starting kind of an agency to, to do done for you lead generation for my coaching students, because I knew that was a, one of the bigger problems they had mindset. And then just executing what I told them, which often was generating leads when you're new, like that's what you need more than anything is to generate leads and talk to actually motivated sellers to do a deal. Cause once you've done a deal, like your confidence goes through the roof. And then once you've done 10, you'll, you'll never even, it'll never be an issue. You just have to get over that hump. Right. But I just didn't want to do it. And I had some experiences in the past where I was involved with some done for you marketing. And I was like, Everybody also complains about how bad the leads are. And it's like, well, in this business, 90% of the leads, no matter how you generate them, usually suck. Like, you're Thank not going to do a deal from that. So you got to dredge <laughs> through that, right? So, and I was like, do I want to be the person that everybody's complaining 
you know, about, about and two. It's like yeah. playing to me about me. It's like, ah, so I don't want to do it. So um, connected with Jason and Jason was actually doing just coincidentally doing some lead gen for a couple of people. And they were just like friends of his for the most part, you know. But I saw enough to know that, you know, he he's Jason wouldn't call himself an integrator, um, but he's playing that role now. I mean, he's definitely closer to that than me. And then I knew just from my relationships and stuff that I had the distribution and some things that I could help yep. us really get it off the ground. And so I kind of say it was like peanut butter and jelly coming together. Like we just we were like inseparable for the next couple of days, even though I had like 150 other people there. Uh, I was just like, you know, I think we just like it was like love at first sight from the opportunity to do some do this together. And it took us a few months, probably six months to kind of get it off the ground to a beta test. Um, and now, you know, now we operate in um, over 350 markets around the country for hundreds of America's top real estate investors. So it's uh, taken on a life of its own and it's had tons of ups and downs and trials and tribulations and stuff. But, um, you know, we're we're in a great spot and uh, our whole focus is how do we make it better? How do we make it better? How do we make it better for everybody? Because we want if they're not successful, we can't be successful. Exactly. What is. What's your overall goal with that company? Are you guys like thinking exit or what? You know, we just think on how to, I mean, at the end of the day, even though we're, we've grown dramatically, we feel like it's still just the tip of the iceberg. So it's like a puzzle, right? You just get to the point to where you're like, how do I make this better? How do I make this better than anything else that's out there? From my perspective, I think we're already there, but we still feel like we have a long list of what we can do to improve and what to do next. And so, at the end of the day, we're just trying to add a ton of value to our customers and try to create something that hopefully will change a lot of people's lives. I love it. And it's in a nutshell, guys, it's a better version of Audantic. Several of our clients use machine and then they use our callers. I mean, Steve used both at the same time. And I think Steve made like three or four hundred thousand dollars in a month from it. So super powerful. Um, I believe in it 100 percent transitions to some processes so i i still need to know how <laughs> did you develop operational skills like did you like like was what were the things you were doing i don't think i ever want to do it but if i have to like what were you leaning on because like i'm not the detail oriented guy i can yeah. think up a system but I, i'm never yeah, yeah. going to be the one who's going i think to that's what it is so so part of it is um so we've been power users of asana not sure if you're familiar with asana yeah for uh probably i bet it's been 10 years i mean and i'll okay. tell you it's kind of it's kind of yeah. funny it's kind of funny and this is this kudos back to my wife because we just had a joke about this the other day so we were i was in a group uh there's several things that my wife has discovered right and found and I would poo-poo it because I'm like, I never even heard of that before. Nobody's using that. Podio was one. And it's kind of funny. There's a long story of I, we, my wife had uh, found Podio. And again, this is probably 10 years ago. Okay. And uh, we didn't know anybody using it. I'd never heard of it. And back then, like literally 10 years ago-ish, there were no real estate investing CRMs. It was like there weren't there were hardly any systems you know if i go back yeah. to 2010 i mean we were using like um google sheets tool called high rise that doesn't even exist anymore and just bastardizing all kinds of things to try to make it work right or a lot of people are still using excel and souped up versions of excel so anyway she found podio and started personalizing it and 
making it our CRM. And I was dragging my feet the whole way, which is in hindsight, I've done that a bunch of times to her. And then we went to an event and Joe, I remember specifically Sean Terry was showing Joe McCall this new system that somebody had told him about. And he's like, yeah, you just drag this over here and you build it. And I got this sharp elbow. She's like, see, so that was, and then Joe, and then Joe became podio Joe and Joe, Joe's, uh, Joe's amazing. I was with him for, uh, this past weekend, but uh, Asana is the same way. Um, and I might, we might've single-handedly been the way people found out about Asana in the real estate investing industry. Cause we told so many people and told people like uh, Gary Harper and Susan Harper and kind of showed them what we're doing. And now they teach it to all their uh, customers and stuff like that. And so anyway, I don't need to take credit for that, but we, we've used it very early on. And it was essentially just create these templates that are a list of tasks in sequential order of how you do a thing. Yeah. Right. From doing a podcast, we do a podcast and there's like 60 tasks. It's like register the guest, remind the guest, you know, shoot the video, do all these edits, publish it on and on and on. And um, I think when there were some times where, you know, back to my relationship with my wife, I had to like step up and play that role because it was just clear that she wasn't happy having to do as much of that work as uh, as she was. And so. And I think there's a couple other people on my team too that it was kind of being pushed like to me. And then I was pushing it on other people like, hey, let's just go through this. Let's try to build the process the best we can, detail it out, beat it up a little bit. What am I missing? What else do we do here? And people are like, oh, you forgot this and this. So like, okay, let's put it in and just start to create these processes for whether it's uh, an assignment deal, a rehab deal, refreshing a rental, a make ready, whatever, uh, to putting on a podcast, hosting an event, onboarding a new student. Like anything that most of us do in our businesses um, are repeatable processes. Like yeah. we, I might do this a hundred times a year and I do it the same way every time. And it's like, those are ripe for building out processes to where um, you can teach other people how to do it. Cause guys like you and me ultimately don't want to have to do all those things. Right. And so for me, it was a way to say, I can't take on anymore. I can't start any new businesses. I can't grow the business that I have yeah. until I figure out, a process and system for how I can offload that to somebody else that can do a lot of the tasks that I probably shouldn't be doing. Exactly. Well, let's end on that, man. Do you have any parting words? Uh, yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff today. Yeah. Um, no, man, I just think, look, the real estate investing business has been great for me. And no matter where you're at in your business, whether you're brand new or you're a veteran, I mean, I know plenty of veteran folks that are in the process of recreating themselves too, right? And so we're all, I think as entrepreneurs, we're we're always starting over, refreshing, improving. And even people that are brand new are, are the same way. You're refreshing a different part of your life, right? So this is a great business. Um, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. I think the important thing is to surround yourself with people that can help you climb the learning curve a lot faster than what you'll ever be able to do on your own. And uh, not be afraid. I mean, there's a lot of people that are selling stuff in this industry. You have a service. We have some services, right? Um, and so I think sometimes newer folks feel like they come in and just everybody wants to sell them stuff, which is true. It's like going to the carnival. Like, you know, you want some cotton candy. You want me to guess your weight? Like people are all over the place. But there's some great um, services and people in the business that uh, really can help you get to where you want to go faster. And I think a lot of newer folks tend to give up before they experience success. Um, in fact, one. a lot, right? And some Most. of it is you just didn't pick the right horse to partner with or to work with you. So look for those folks.
Exactly, bro. Great parting words. If you guys want to use, we have an affiliate with both of them. So if you guys are looking to join one of the best real estate masterminds, go to investorfield.com. I'm sure if you just put promo code strat, they'll figure it out. Same thing with investor machine. Put in Stratton Brown and they'll take care of you. We actually have, I don't know if you know this, we created a couple of new links for you. It's uh, investorfuel.com slash winning move. Hey, okay. And then theinvestormachine.com slash winning move. Hell yeah. Make that a little bit easier. Make that a lot easier. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks for coming, Mike. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, buddy. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Winning Move Podcast. I hope it helps you make all the right moves in your life and business. Please make sure to go like and subscribe on any podcast platform that you're listening to. And make sure to go follow me on Instagram at Strat Daddy. Thank you guys so much. I'll talk to you soon.